everybody. Welcome, 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 all of our campuses. You can be seated if you're up. I do love the 80s, don't you? I mean, just think about the hair and the pants, and I mean, how, how can you not love the 80s? Welcome to you at New Linux. Welcome to you at Homer Glen. Welcome to you online. Um, I, I love the 80s, okay? I, I, let me explain. When I hit you know, coming, coming off a of summer break, I hit this time where I was like, uh, you know, I think, I think we have a chance to reset everything in our life. We really have a chance to reset our priorities. Before we start adding stuff back in, we have a chance to really think about what we're doing. And one of the things I didn't talk about, but should obviously be talked about, is how we handle our finances. I mean, all of us were very nervous at the very beginning, right, about how everything was going to go and am I going to have a job, and some of you didn't, and some of you were really hindered in, in what happened through COVID, but we also found out that there were things that maybe we didn't need to buy, right, like eating out in restaurants all the time. You couldn't do that anymore, and all of a sudden, it was like there were some different things going on and how this was all going to work, and so what I want to do over the next couple of weeks is talk to you about how you can learn to live in the 80s, okay, in the 80% instead of 120%, which is the average of what Americans live on today. In other words, they're going further and further into debt. Now, there are a lot of ways you can solve that. I uh, heard about a couple in Connecticut that uh, stopped making payments on their house and the bank began foreclosure proceedings and, and the Camerons, is their name, they contacted the mortgage company and they said that God had told them that they could stop making mortgage payments. And they said, it was our desire to be free from this mortgage debt, therefore we asked God, our Heavenly Father... <laughs> I'm not doing an accident, this is, so this is good, right? We ask God, our, they're from Connecticut. We ask God, our Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, and he heard us and he freed us from this mortgage bondage. And officials from the mortgage company said, well, we're going to continue with the foreclosure until we are also contacted by God. I mean, it reminds me of the woman who wrote to the IRS and said, please take me off your mailing list. I mean, it just doesn't work that way, right? I mean, that's not how it goes. So do you want to know what our problem is? I came up with this a couple of years ago, and I think it's the epitome of everything that's going on in our world today. We have a buffet problem. I know you might go, buffet problem? Yeah, I got a buffet problem. No, I, I, I know, I know. You, maybe we have both of them. We, but I think we have a buffet problem. Too much Jimmy and not enough Warren. Are you with me? Okay. Too much Margaritaville, too much wasting away, not paying attention, and not enough paying attention like Warren Buffett, you know, who still lives in the, even though he's a multi-billionaire, still lives in a house in Omaha, Nebraska that he paid $31,000 for 35 years ago. That's the problem that we have. And now before you roll your eyes at me, you know, what are we talking about this today? Um, you got to know that the Bible has 40 verses that speak directly to the subject of baptism. And I take that as an indication that baptism is important. And we had a whole bunch of you get baptized after Richie preached last weekend, and it was phenomenal. I, th I think that's really important. And the Bible has 275 verses on prayer. So if I get up to talk about prayer, you're like, yeah, okay, I guess that makes sense. 350 verses that talk about faith. 650 verses that talk about love. You would expect me to get up, you know, as a Christ follower and talk about love from time to time, right? What most people don't realize is that there are 2,350 verses that relate specifically and directly to our financial and material possessions. I mean, it's the single most talked about subject in the Bible. 
Not heaven, not hell, not prayer, not salvation. The single most talked about is the stewardship of God's resources, the way we manage God's resources. The Bible says Jesus can set you free. He can make you free. And what I talked about back in August was I think that as we move out of this into whatever the new reality is, that we should be less stressed out this time. Because before March 13th, Friday the 13th, we were all really busy and really stressed out. And a big part of that had to do with our finances. A big part of it had to do with this. So as we're moving back in, and I know, I I get it. Some of you are are really behind because of the coronavirus. And we want to help you. Honestly, we do. But, But for those of us that weren't necessarily that much affected by it, let's go back to a different way than we were before. And i got to remind you that this is a spiritual issue, okay? It's a spiritual issue. The Bible says, if you have not been faithful in the use of worldly wealth, who is going to entrust true riches to you? I'm just saying that the sooner we get this right, the sooner we'll be living better because it's God's owner's manual. Now, living on 80%, where did I come up with that? That's not, not really in the Bible. But giving and saving are in the Bible. So the way that we set it up is we give 10%, and this is very biblical. We give 10% back to God, and I'll explain that along the way. We save 10%, and we live on 80%. Uh, I'm doing that way differently now because, you know, I'm, I'm not paying for college, and I'm getting older, so I'm putting a lot more back in savings and living on a lot less than 80% at this point. But, but all of our lives, we've gone on this principle. When we were making nothing, when we were making very, very little, when I was making $19,000 a year straight out of college, we did 10, 10, 80, up to the point where I am now where I'm making more than that. And we're living on 10, a lot more, we're living on a lot more and a lot more and a lot less. Okay. And here's what would happen. Let's just say for the sake of, of whatever, that you're a 25 year old and you, have, uh, you get married, and you have a combined income, you and your spouse, of $60,000 a year, okay? So let's just say that all you ever make the rest of your life, you and your spouse, is $60,000 a year. Or you're single, and you're, all you make your entire life is $60,000 a year. Household income of $60,000 a year. If you decide that you're going to do 10, 10, 80, by the time you get to 65... By the time you get to 65, you will have given $240,000 to the cause of God's kingdom. That's a lot. And you know that's going to put you close to God's heart. And you will have saved over $2 million back for your retirement, for whatever needs need to come, for being generous later on in life. With an average amount of interest, you will have saved over $2 million of of money because that's how compound interest works. That's an average of $60,000 a year from 25 to 65. Now, I know when I say that, that brings up a lot of emotions, okay? Some of them are guilt, and and I'm I'm not trying to do that, okay? I've had people say to me, you know, like, well, I guess we won't get the granite countertops, you know. Well, I guess we won't buy the boat. No, I mean, don't buy a boat. That's dumb. Anybody have a boat? I mean... Boat stands for bring over another thousand. Bring over another thousand to the marina where they work on your boat. But that's not the point. The Bible teaches that we give generously and we save responsibly, and then we enjoy what God has blessed us with. 
The Apostle Paul says, command those who are rich in this present age not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us everything for our enjoyment. Our enjoyment. Well, how can I enjoy 80%? Well, no, I get it. It's going to take a little time. You're going to have to work it out. But I promise you, that's what God gives it for. If you're a parent or a grandparent, you understand this. If I give my grandchild money for their birthday, uh, my grandson just turned seven this week. I got to be at his party. Um, Here's a picture from the party. I didn't doctor that picture. They just literally cut my face out of that picture. It was a Ninjago party, okay? I'm the Rodney Dangerfield of our family, I guess. But Maggie still loves me because when I dressed up as Iron Man, Maggie wanted to be Iron Man with me. Look at her with the mask on. We are Iron Man. Yeah, I, I know. She's special. And then Olivia had a birthday party yesterday. She turned six. I didn't get to be at that. But I stole these costumes from uh, uh, up in the back room at the church. I don't know if you know. We have all these leftover costumes. So I got Nana this princess costume so that she could be at the princess thing with Olivia. And here's Olivia's birthday cake where they put sprinkler, sparklers on it. And look at the look on her face. She's like... Is my face going to burn off? I'm a little bit concerned here. And, and the three-year-old, her three-year-old brother, uh, Caleb, he didn't want to be a superhero. He wanted to be a leaf. <laughs> he's a strange one. Really. Yeah, he's going to be a preacher. So what I'm saying is if I, give, if I give Charlie or Olivia some money, I'm happy for them to save some of that money. I'd love for them to do that. That's kind of up to their parents. I'd love for them to give some of that money. But I also want them to enjoy the money. That's why I gave it to them. And God is the Father. He wants us to give generously and save responsibly. But he also wants us to enjoy what he has blessed us with. And hey, guys, we're grown-ups, Okay. So spending all your money on Legos is really dumb. Just, God just doesn't want us to feel trapped because we don't have any margin in our life. And the other emotion that people come at me with sometimes when I talk about this stuff is anger. You know, it's just like, well, wait a minute. I feel shortchanged. What do you mean give back to God? Are you kidding me? I work so hard for the money, and they feel shortchanged. It's interesting, though. You know, when, I, when we've been doing this and, and when... Other people do this. The truth of the matter is, if you make twenty or $30,000 a year, you're not as likely to feel that way. They are more likely at a lower income level to give 10% back to God than somebody who's making six figures or more. Because that's big money now. You're starting to talk about big things. And some people just feel shortchanged when you start to talk about this stuff. So just imagine it this way, Okay. Uh, And again, this is all throughout the Old Testament, and in the New Testament, Jesus said, do not neglect the tithe. But imagine it this way. Imagine you you know a wealthy older man, and he has a, a number of different income streams coming from different investments, and he decides that he's going to give one of those streams of income, he's going to sign it over to his son. It's bringing in $120,000 a year. So it's about $10,000 a month. And he says to his son, hey, son, I'm just going to sign this over to you. And one day it's all going to be yours anyway. But I'm going to go ahead and sign this over to you now. All I ask of you is that you, out of that $10,000 a month, give me back $1,000. Because there's some stuff I'd like to do with that. That would be great. Imagine how ridiculous it would be if the son started complaining and whining about having to get back the father a thousand bucks a month. Or how much more ridiculous would it be if he decided not to do it? 
The Bible teaches us to give and to save, but how do you handle the rest of it? How, how do we get ourselves out of the problems that we've already dug? I'm going to do something really different today. I'm going to preach from the, my favorite story in the Bible, which I use all the time to talk about what our priority is as the church. It's called the parable of the prodigal son. And it's not about money at all, really. That's not the main point of the, char- of the character or uh, of the whole thing. It's about God's forgiveness and grace and God as the loving father. But there's a lot of truths in here that will help us. Because the prodigal son had a lot and then he got, ended up broke, okay? And then he came back to the father. So how did he find himself going from having a lot of money to feeding pigs? Okay, here's the story and we'll, we'll glean some stuff out of this. There was a man who had two sons. And the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So the father divided his property between them. Okay? So what did the prodigal do wrong? Let's look at the prodigal's mistakes. Number one, instant gratification. Okay? Instant gratification. The inheritance was going to be his someday. He could have waited for that, and it would have been a lot more. Chances are if he would have waited, it would have accumulated, and his father probably would have been even more generous with the, with the things that he had in his will later on, but he didn't do it because he wanted instant gratification. I saw a bumper sticker that said, instant gratification takes too long. Anybody agree with that? We want everything faster, right? Immediately. I mean, you hit send on the email and and your computer freezes and you're like, what's going on? And you're looking at the microwave and you're like, man, how how long is this going to take? I mean, this this is where we live. And a lot of us are impulse buyers, right? Don't point at anybody else. Don't nudge anybody right now. But impulse buyers. There's a very famous sociological experiment done with kids about delayed gratification. They call it the marshmallow test. And what they do is they give kids, you can see all kinds of videos on, on the web, but I'll show you this. They give kids one marshmallow and they say, now if you wait and don't eat this marshmallow, I'm going to come back and give you another one. Just one. Okay, girls, how did you do? You haven't eaten yours. And what happened to yours, B? Where is it? Well, it's there in your tummy. Is it? So you couldn't wait for another one. So you, as a reward, get another marshmallow. Tasty. I'm sure they gave the little girl another one after the video was over, okay? She's too young and too cute. Uh, I mean, really, but, but you know what that feeling is like, right? Save up for a car? Why would I do that when, you know, it's 1.9% interest? I, I, listen, I get the whole thing, okay? I live where you live. But MIT did, uh, their economists did a study on why people use credit cards and how credit cards work. And you know what they found out? 
They found out that when you use a credit card, I know I sound like Dave Ramsey up here, but listen, listen to me. Well, they found out that when you use a credit card, you spend twice as much money as you think you're spending. Twice as much money. For every dollar that you spend, it only feels like you're spending 50 cents. Doesn't that ring true? I mean, you know that's true. You're like, you, you pull out the card, you do your stuff, and then you get the bill, and you're like, how did this happen, right? Because credit cards separate the fun of buying something from the pain of paying for it. So I can experience fun now, and I don't have to worry about the consequences later. Or I can set it up on minimum payments that last for another 30 years and waste all of my savings money. The prodigal son doesn't want to wait. He took it right then. Here's the key, okay? You want to know the key to instant gratification? I know this guy who was thrown in jail unfairly. He was in the Middle East. Conditions of the jail were very poor, damp, cold, inhumane. He was neglected and abused by guards. Food was scarce and poor. And he wrote a letter to some friends in which he said, I know what it is to be in need But I also know what it is to have plenty. But I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry like I am now in this prison, whether living in plenty or in want. The prisoner who said that, of course, was the Apostle Paul writing to his friends in Philippi, and he said, I have learned to be content in whatever the circumstance. Content. I'm just saying, you guys, we had to be content during the the shutdown, right? We had to be content when we couldn't go out to eat. We had to be content when we couldn't travel to places. We We were forced to be content. How about as we go back, we don't just go back crazy like we were before. That's what I'm saying. Can you just say these words with me? I already have enough. Can you just say that? Okay, listen, you're going to get pregnant that way. Let's try this again, okay? I already have enough. Okay, see, that's not that bad. Second mistake, second mistake. He got together all that he had, and he set off for a far-off place, and he squandered his wealth and wasted his money in wild living. So we got instant gratification, and then he has self-destructive behavior. Okay, the problem with the coronavirus shutdown is that some of us went from instant gratification could no longer happen to, uh uh-oh, now I've got a bunch of self-destructive behaviors. Like the alcohol bill for everybody on the planet went through the sky, right? I mean, you know, all of those other kinds of things that we could do, self-destructive behavior went through the roof. And you know that it's costly, not just financially, it brings short-term pleasure and some gratification, but ultimately it brings pain. Whatever that self-destructive behavior is, it always costs us. So I'm just inviting you to examine your lifestyle. Do you know where your money goes? Could, Could you for the next week just try this? Just keep track of it. I mean, this is the big problem, and I do it too. Don't even keep track of it. You just whip out the card, and you don't keep track of it until later on when it's too late. It should be so obvious. So just for a week, at the end of the week, look at what you've spent your money on and ask yourself some questions. Have I saved for the future some emergencies? Were these purchases about the needs or about the wants? And again, there's nothing wrong with the wants if they're not outside the will of God and they don't keep us from 
saving for the future and being generous? Have I been generous? Have I saved for the future? And, and were these needs or wants? We got instant gratification. We got self-destructive behavior. And then after he had spent, after he had spent how much? Say that with me. Oh, there it is. There's the 100% or 110% if he could get some credit cards. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine. Nobody saw that coming. Yeah, right? Like March 13th. There was a severe famine in in the whole country, and he began to be in need. He began to be in need, okay? Instant gratification, self-destructive behavior, and thinking there's always more where that came from. Those are the three mistakes that lead to financial ruin in our lives. See, a lot of us think, you know, the problem isn't spending. It's not even saving or giving. The problem is earning. I just don't earn enough. If I could just make this much more, then I could start giving and I could start saving and I could start being responsible with my spending and get out of my credit card problems. But honestly, that's probably not true. The Bible says... The more money you have, the more you spend, right up to the limits of your income. You see, there used to be this thing, this rule that when you ran out of money, you were out of money. I mean, some of you remember this. I do. If you're out of money, you're you're out of money. You had to stop buying things. You had to survive uh, by going without. But that's no longer true. Because we're now like my favorite all-time SNL skit. Here you go. Ugh, I just can't get these numbers to add up. It's like we're never going to get out of this hole. Credit card debt, does it ever end? <laughs> Maybe I can help. We sure could use it. We've tried debt consolidation companies. We've even taken out loans to help make payments. Well, you're not the only ones. Did you know millions of Americans live with debt they cannot control? That's why I developed this unique new program for managing your debt. It's called Don't Buy Stuff You Cannot Afford. Oh, let me see that. If you don't have any money, you should not buy anything. Hmm, sounds interesting. Sounds confusing. I don't know, honey. This makes a lot of sense. There's a whole section here on how to buy expensive things using money you save. Give me that. And where would you get this saved money? I tell you where and how in Chapter 3. Okay, but what if I want something but I don't have any money? You don't buy it. Well, let's say I don't have enough money to buy something. Should I buy it anyway? No. (laughs) Now I'm really confused. It's a little confusing at first. Can you buy something? Yes. Now take the money away. Same story? Nope. You shouldn't buy stuff when you don't have the money. I think I got it. I buy something I want and then hope that I can pay for it, right? (laughs) No. You make sure you have money, then you buy it. Oh, then you buy it. But shouldn't you buy it before you have the money? No. Why not? It's in the book. It's only one page long. (laughs) The advice is priceless and the book is free. Wow, I like the sound of that. Yeah, we can put it on our credit card. (laughs) So get out of debt now. Write for your free copy of Don't Buy Stuff You Cannot Afford. And if you order now, you'll also receive Seriously, 
If you don't have the money, don't buy it. Along with a 12-month subscription to Stop Buying Stuff magazine. So order today. <laughs> it's too obvious, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's where we are, you guys. It, and the Bible said it kind of even worse than that. Uh, listen, I don't write them, I just read them. Stupid people spend their money as fast as they get it. A wise person saves for the future, okay? Do you see that? Okay. Stupid goes with spend, and uh, wise goes with saves, all right? You with us? Next week, we'll talk more about saving. Pastor Todd's going to be talking about saving next week. The prodigal son didn't anticipate and was not ready for the hard times, the lean times. So stupid spend and the wise save. That's how it's supposed to be. And that's what led to his financial ruin, but also a whole lot of other suffering in his life. When you go through tough times financially, it's a tough time in your whole life. The number one problem in marriage, I think this is why the Bible talks about it so much, is finances, you guys. So the young man comes to our, in our story, comes to a place where some of you understand this, he's desperate, and he knows he has to make some changes. Things can't go on like this. So what does he do? So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of the country who sent him to the field to feed pigs. And the Bible says he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Okay? No one gave him anything? Yeah. So what did he do? He went and fed the pigs. So what has he done here? He's made some lifestyle changes. And again, I bring this up because we all had to make lifestyle changes. He's lived in a well-off family. He's had all kinds of money to blow. And now, because he's done a bad job, he actually has to go feed pigs. And remember, Jesus is teaching this to Jewish people. So this isn't just bad about feeding pigs. This is unclean about feeding pigs. And the truth about it when it comes to our financial life is that we need to, first of all, acknowledge the reality of the situation. Financial experts says this is where most people get in trouble. They just don't. They're just like Steve Martin, okay? Like, uh, just clueless, absolutely. Amy Poehler, they just didn't get it. They don't understand. And can I just be clear about this? Not opening bills is not a financial plan, you guys, Okay. Just pretending like everything is okay is not a financial plan. The Bible says the prudent see danger and take refuge. This is the one Dave Ramsey uses a lot in FPU. The prudent see danger and take refuge. They see what's coming. They see the road that they're on and they take refuge. But the simple keep going. They keep doing the same things and they suffer for it. And the old adage goes like this. If you want something you never had, you have to do something you never did. I just want to encourage you, as we come back into some kind of normal, this is what needs to happen first. Acknowledge the situation. The, the, the prodigal son takes the most humiliating job he possibly can. He's feeding pigs. It would have been easy for him to say, this is beneath me. I come from a, well, a wealthy family. There's no way I'm going to do this. He could be like Cousin Eddie in Christmas vacation who hadn't worked for seven years because he was holding out for a management position. But at some point, you have to humble yourself and acknowledge the reality of the situation that you're in. Maybe it's time to sit down with your spouse and say, you know what? I or we have not made some good financial decisions. We haven't handled our money as well as we could have. Recovery begins when you're honest about where you are. So then when he came to his senses, I love that phrase, how many of my 
father's hired men, he said, have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. He acknowledged his situation, and he came to his senses. He doesn't have to go on like this. Here's what I'm going to do, he says. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've blown it. I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. So just make me like one of your hired men. What did he do there? He acknowledged the reality of the situation and he developed a plan. He realizes that he needs to make a change and he shows us what to do next. You've got to develop a plan. This is the plan. This is what I'm going to do. The Bible says, be sure to know the condition of your flocks. Okay, agrarian society, you get this, right? Make sure you know how many sheep you've got, okay? And you know who's feeling good. Give careful attention to your herds, for riches do not endure forever, and a crown is not secure for all generations. So you come up with a plan. It's called a budget, okay? It's called a budget, and you stick with it. And there are great resources out there that will help you with this and financial experts that guide you through it. If you're looking for some help, we are prepared. I think FPU, Financial Peace University, is the best thing out there. Uh, We're prepared to launch at the new year, January, in homes, uh, uh, the nine-week FPU program. And if you haven't done that, I made all of my kids go through that before they got married. It's super important. All you need to do is text FPU to 65649. That's our text number. FPU to 65649. And we'll keep this up over the next couple of weeks and help you to get signed up in January to get your finances straightened out. And talk to somebody who's been through it because they'll tell you it changed their life. Uh, Ramsey Solutions are, Ramsey's a good friend. I'm speaking this week down at their, they have chapel every week on Wednesday. And I haven't done it for a while, but I'll be down there this week speaking to them. We want to help you with this. And they do too. A lot of times I hear people say, you know, I'm going to quit smoking. I'm going to lose 25 pounds. And I never really believe them unless I know they have a plan. Prodigal Son says, okay, look, I I get it. Uh, I I acknowledge the situation and I and developing a plan, and then it says, so he got up and he went to the Father. He got up and he went to the Father. Notice, notice it doesn't, he doesn't wait. He doesn't say, let me fix my mess. He doesn't say, let me save up a little bit of money. He doesn't say, let me remodel my kitchen, and then I'll start being financially responsible. Or, let me go ahead and buy this car, and then I'll get on the right track. No, you start today, and you go to the Father today. And, of course, the end of the story is the punchline. And this is my favorite part of the story and why I love using this story to talk about financial messes. Because the father is always the father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and he was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. And the son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they celebrated. What does he come home to? The same father that all of us have. He finds the same thing that all of us find, a father who gives grace, 
a father who redeems, a father who's not mad at us for going off and spending all of his inheritance money, a father who helps you get back on your feet, no matter what kind of mess that you've made, not just with your money, but with your life. You can come to this place where you say, you know what, I'm acknowledging this situation, I'm going to go back to the father. It's time for me to turn around. If you found yourself feeding pigs, it's time to go back to the father. If you're still out there spending the money and it's still got, you've still got some, it's time to go back to the father. Because there's a heavenly father who is just waiting to run towards you. Let's pray. Lord, I, I thank you for this parable. It means the most to me of all the things that you gave us in the Bible. And so many times all we focus on is the good, good father. And oftentimes for me, it's the stupid older brother. Because that's kind of my, that's my, that's, that's the thing that I go I fall back into, and I know Christians fall back into, is the older brother who didn't really want the younger brother to be brought back because he'd always done everything right, and he was judgmental and, <laughs> and, and, and legalistic and not loving. We don't often focus on the prodigal because we just find ourselves in his story too easily. But I love today that we could talk about how he got himself in that situation. And I love today that we could talk about the fact that no matter what situation we've gotten ourselves in or what situation the coronavirus or other circumstances in life have got us into that we had nothing to do with, that today we can turn around and come home to the Father and know that there will be no judgment, know that there, there will be no harsh words know that there will be no penance there will be no time where where we have to do a few things before he can trust us again none of that just the love and the grace of the father who sent his son to pay for all of our mistakes father you're the one we worship today it's in your name we pray Amen.